Take your Bibles, if you've got them, we'll turn together to Genesis chapter 3, our scripture text for this evening. And we'll read a couple of verses here, verses 6 through 8. These are the words of God. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come together tonight to consider some of the, the basic foundational tenets of the reality that we live in. And we pray and we ask that you would bless us, O Lord, by growing us in our understanding so that again, we might live in a way that brings glory to you and happiness to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. These these. These chapters that we, are, we have been working through for a few months now, I guess more than a few months, a year, um, are dealing with some of the, the fundamentals, not, not just of religious life, but these are the fundamentals of life itself. Um, understanding these chapters on the nature of God his creation, His providence, His sovereignty, His decree, and now in chapter 6, dealing with the fall of man. You see, these are dealing with your basic understanding and perception of, of why we are here. Why you, why you are here. Why you have breath in your lungs. What your life is all about. And how you achieve happiness. Tonight we are dealing with this sin, and, and, and so this chapter, chapter 6, is introducing us to mankind's problem. And you know, if you want to formulate a proper solution, you have to be able to diagnose problems accurately. Um, you, you would not ask me to come over to your house and figure out the problem with your wiring. That's not my expertise. Um, now, I could pull up a YouTube video and maybe work through it, but I couldn't diagnose it properly. Um, and a fundamental problem that we have today is a denial of the issue of sin. Um, after the Enlightenment, man, men, began to describe their problems scientifically. This was the objective. And the, 
Since the 1930s, there has been an objective movement in the United States of America and growing broadly around the world to to further and further press religion into the corner, to disengage man from his sense of needing um, spiritual answers to his problems. All all of your problems, in other words, can be defined in, in your biochemistry. Freud, for example, in order to disengage man from religion, sought to deal with guilt. This was the the fundamental question. Why why do we feel guilty? Now, you can understand why that question would have come about if you deny that man is created. If there is no absolute moral standard, no absolute moral lawgiver, then guilt doesn't make sense. Why do we feel guilty? And so Freud understood that in order to disengage man from religion, you have to deal with guilt. And specifically, you have to decouple, as it were, guilt from sin. And and so what he eventually did was um, uh, influenced by a book called Semitic Religions, or the Semitic Religion... um, defined guilt as an inherited trait. Now, that makes sense from an evolutionary perspective. And so he did this by relating guilt to this inherited trait, isolating guilt to an issue with man's psyche. But biblically, the problem of guilt is much deeper. In Westminster, Shorter, in Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 4, we talked about how God created man. And it says some things like this. After God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female. You know that. With reasonable and immortal souls. He endued them with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image having the law of God written in their hearts and power to fulfill it. They were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. But something has happened. That that essential happiness is, is gone. We just read from Psalm 42, and did you notice what the psalmist says twice? He's... He's questioning his soul. Why why are you downcast, O my soul? And he's responding by commanding. He's he's speaking a command to himself. Hope in God. Why are you downcast? And I I think that, that is so helpful as we think about this problem of sin. We've got to apply it to practical, real world issues. Why are people sad? Angry, lonely. Why does your knee hurt or your back? All of this relates back to sin. And you see, if you don't, if you do not diagnose the problem essentially as sin, 
then you are not going to prescribe the correct solution. Westminster Confession 6.2 says this, By this sin they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. And so we're going to see just uh, some brief points tonight, but four of them. Adam's sin destroyed original righteousness. It destroyed communion with God. It destroyed spiritual life, and it destroyed innocence. Adam's fall destroyed original righteousness, communion with God, spiritual life, and innocence. First of all, Adam's sin, the first sin, destroyed original righteousness. And remember, God created Adam righteous. What does that mean? Well, it meant that when, when Adam's character was compared to the law of God, it was seamless. There, there was no charge, no chargeable offense in Adam whatsoever. In a court of law, he would have been declared not only not guilty, but righteous. This would have been God's declaration against him. He had positive righteousness because his nature was not corrupted at that point. But sin changed that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29, we read this. Since this uh, see, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Many schemes. You see, uh, God made man upright. In terms of the law, he had the law written on his heart, and it was his delight to do that law. He loved obeying God. In another part of the Scriptures, this word sought out many schemes is translated um, they built machines and set them on the top of a rampart the fall spoiled adam's right standing before he lived in enjoyment of god's blessing but now he was under the threat of god's wrath. In Ecclesiastes, he sought out many schemes. You see, what happened, what changed about him is no longer did he pursue righteousness. He seeks out ways to do evil. The imagination of his heart plans evil. We read from Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, and we notice this transformation in Adam and Eve in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so the first change that the Scriptures introduce is that their eyes were open. Normally this would be a good thing. A blind man, when he has his eyes open, his sight is restored. At other places in the Scriptures, when a man has his eyes open, he's able to perceive the unseen realm around him. He sees the angels and the heavenly host. Here, they behold their own nakedness. Now, this is not in, in a sexual sense. What they perceive is their own helplessness. And they become ashamed. In Genesis 2.25, we read that they were both naked and they were not ashamed. Here, the righteousness is taken away and they become ashamed. And so the first effect of sin is that Adam lost his right standing before God. Before, he was a son 
Now, he's a criminal bound over to punishment. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Adam and you and I fall short of God's righteous standard. And so what is the, what is the necessary requirement for that? Well, the, the requirement for that is loss of communion. And so secondly, we see the first sin, destroyed communion with God. I hope that you know that what this means, when that communion was broken, so was happiness. Your happiness is integrally integrally related to your communion with God. In fact, all human happiness is connected to communion with God. In fact, you ought to be able to say that true happiness is not possible outside of communion with God. Now, that's not to say that you won't have some trappings, some fleeting moments of happiness. You will. But there is no lasting happiness possible for mankind apart from communion with God. Why is that? God made you for Himself. And so, as you are counseling your friends, your friends who really struggle with sadness, what do you do? Well, you direct them to grow in communion with God through Christ. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 42? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. We notice from this that God is not passive in His judgment against Adam and Eve. In other words, when Adam took that bite, serving as our federal head, our representative, it wasn't that he simply pushed over the first block in a series of dominoes. But God comes forth actively judging Adam and Eve. And an aspect of that judgment is that their communion was broken. It was changed. And we find this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, where we read, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You notice what happens here is, is that when they hear, and it's, the idea is literally that the, the voice of God itself may be walking in the garden. And there are, are other ways to take this passage that God is descending in the clouds here, coming against Adam and Eve in judgment against them. But we notice... Here, here we notice then that this altered state of man's relationship to God affects him deeply. And so that we might say that human sadness, if human happiness is related to communion with God, then human sadness is an affliction of God's judgment for sin. Why are men sad? 
because God is angry. Our sadness is a soul issue and it is a result of broken communion with the Creator. So that, listen, if Adam had never sinned, there would be no sadness. You think of Christ, sinless Christ, grieving the death of of His friend. Even that grief is related to the presence of sin and the broken communion that man has with God. Sadness is a soul issue. Communion with God is the vitality of your life. Communion with God is the vitality of your life. When you struggle with sadness, get on your knees. Go to the Lord. Meditate on the Word. Commune with Him and ask Him to be close to you. When you find yourself dismayed, maybe in a depressive state, your first step must be drawing near to God through Christ. You see, circumstances do not interrupt your happiness. Sin does. Judgment does. Sometimes specific sins. But certainly, sin in general. Thirdly, the first sin destroyed spiritual life. Before the fall, Adam and Eve enjoyed fullness of life. Not only did they have communion with God, but every time they enjoyed a meal together, and we don't know how long that would have been, every time they enjoyed a meal together, they rejoiced in God's provision for them. And we reflect on this maybe by saying a blessing uh, before or after a meal like the Israelites did. We reflect on God's goodness toward us. Every Every moment they observed the beauty of God's creation, it caused them to reflect on God's beauty. It caused their souls to rejoice in God. But you see, what happened to Adam, and this is so important, is that when he sinned, his soul died. And he became subject to physical death. After the fall, man became a hollow shell. Walking death, awaiting death. Genesis 2.17, God warned Adam, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the literal translation of that is, you will die, die, Adam. And this spiritual death is demonstrated in Genesis 3.10. It changed his disposition toward God. Now, rather than a loving communion with his creator, he is filled with an unholy fear. We heard you walking in the cool of the garden, in the garden, in the cool of the day, and we hid ourselves from you. No longer did they desire the presence of, of the Lord, but they were afraid to come into his presence. And they were ashamed. It changed his disposition toward his wife. Notice what happens in verse 12. 
The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Rather than accepting responsibility as the federal head of all humanity, he shifted the blame onto his wife. And Ephesians chapter 2.1 describes how we have inherited this same condition. And you were dead in, trespass, in, the tre- in trespasses and sins. God's judgment against Adam inflicted spiritual death and caused him to await physical death. This spiritual death explains every moral problem. Men lust and kill and steal and lie and pillage and destroy because they are beset with spiritual death. We do not long for the glory of God. Our appetite for Him is diminished because our souls are dead in sin. You see, if that is the problem, then the solution to every moral issue is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to give spiritual life. What He does is He revives your dead heart. We've been at home reading through 1 Peter and in chapter 1, Peter says that God caused you to be born again. And what does that mean except that in this life you experience a real resurrection. When God causes your soul to live again, and the the result of that is you embrace Christ. All of a sudden, your eyes are opened to the glory of God and you embrace Christ. But apart from that work, you will always only go on desiring sin and committing sin. Now, that doesn't mean that every unregenerate man will never do any good But it does mean that his fundamental motivation to do good is always self-centered and self-seeking. The first sin destroyed spiritual life. And this is the root of every moral problem. And then fourthly, lastly, the first sin destroyed innocence. Let me read for you again the way that the confession of faith puts this. Man is wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. Man is wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. In other words, there's not an aspect of your being that hasn't been affected by sin. Your thinking faculty, your reasoning faculty, your loving faculty, your affection faculty, all of this is affected by sin and corrupted, defiled, Think about the words of Titus chapter 1, verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. 
The very synapses of your brain have been corrupted by the fall of man so that you are futile in your thinking. We learn also that fallen man's mind inclines to deception. He's morally sick. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans chapter 3 has a very unflattering description of you and me. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, what what Paul is doing is he's relating all of these modern issues of morality back to the fact that we are fallen. It's not just an issue of circumstance or upbringing. Though those certainly have an effect. The issue is a spiritual one. The fall ruined us for goodness. Robbed us of happiness. Turned us over to sadness and despair. Because we lost original righteousness We lost our communion with God. We lost our spiritual life. And we lost our innocence. What does all this mean? Well, it means, very simply, that the solution for everything that ills the world is entrusted to you. You know the answers. And it's not convoluted, it's not complicated. It's found in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If the fall is the problem, if the fall is the reason that families dissolve into divorce, if, if the fall is the reason that men kill one another, if the fall is the reason that, that wars arise, then the answer for all of these problems is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be faithful to proclaim it. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we give ourselves to You, body and soul. We belong to You. You purchased us. You created us. And we praise You for that. And oh Lord, I ask that You would help us to take these truths, to meditate on them, to, and to bring out the fruits of them. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.